It's August 12th, 2021, and you're listening to the Architecture Geeks podcast. I'm Larry. And I'm Matthew. And we're your friendly neighborhood architects being geeky as we want to be. Welcome back, everyone. We know it's been a little while since we've posted anything, but but there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that, and, and we'll explain here in a second. But the the main thing is that we just both, I think, needed a break. We have been kind of going, I was going to say something really inappropriate, but we've been going gangbusters with the, with the podcast. And so we thought we needed to take a second to pull back. And so after some discussion, Matthew and I decided, you know what, July looks like a good month to take off. So we decided to take off. Not that I did anything. We, we went to family for July 4th weekend, but I don't think we really did anything else. Did you guys? I mean, how did you spend, spend July, July off? Finding as many places to go swimming as possible and as many safe places to go swimming because, you know, with, with the Delta variant coming, kind of screaming through the South, it's been, it's been a little tricky, but we've just been trying to keep the kids entertained. We actually didn't go see any fireworks because, well, we have two, two and a half year olds who are, aren't, aren't necessarily game for staying up late and big sounds. So... <laughs> I, I get that. I, I could I could completely see that. I mean, I have I have friends whose dogs will hide underneath beds because they're just terrified, and and we didn't go see anything either. We just heard it. We're, we're like it's it's July fourth and nine thirty at night, and we're we're both sitting in bed, and you can hear things exploding in the background. We're like, oh, fireworks are going off. That's nice snooze. <laughs> so yeah. So but but to to let you guys know, so so here's what's going on. We we were talking, and and you know we've been trying to to podcast fairly regularly to the point of almost once a week and once for a while, quite, quite for a while, once a week. But between Matthew's new job, work picking up for me, we thought, okay, we need to, to sort of take a step back and see how do we really want to do this? So we both maintain some sense of sanity. So we did end up taking July off and just trying to de-stress a little bit. I was going to say deprogram, but that sounds terrible. And decided that what we would do is we would we would post twice a month, and then we're going to take December off. Save for, we'll have probably a little five or ten minute podcast in December just to just for the holidays. But other than that, we'll take December off, and then come back in January and essentially January through May, take June off, and then July through November. So we're doing two podcasts a month that gives us some time to do research on topics and and be a little more prepared, hopefully for for the podcast. So. Yeah, so that's the schedule. And, and Matthew, thank you so much for, for sort of reining me in, I guess, a little bit. Honestly, I think it was a little bit of self-preservation on both of our parts because it was we, we were we were blown and going there for a while. It was it was pretty intense. <laughs> Luckily I don't have twins or anything to to have to add to to everything else. So I, I think, yeah, you're right. Self-preservation is definitely a thing here. But we are back, and we are kicking off with what we think is the, well, it's not the Last Jobs podcast. There's going to be one more after this. And we know we said the Last Jobs podcast was the Last Jobs podcast, but yet here we are doing this again. So um, what we want to talk about is two different aspects of job searching, one of which is being fed job postings for jobs that 
they have the word architect in them, but they don't really apply to you being an architect unless you're maybe computer savvy or computer computer literate. Uh, that's literate, it's not the right word, but oriented, I guess, and programming oriented and analysis oriented, which architects in general are, but not to this level. And the other thing that kept, keeps popping up is is we have become an industry that is so driven by Revit and by AutoCAD and, and Revit has really had this push and suddenly in the job searching what we're seeing is a lot of requests coming in for people who have ArchiCAD knowledge, which is again a it's a building information modeling software. It's a BIM software, but it's not the typical Revit software that everyone's gotten so used to. And and we we spent a few minutes talking with an individual at a firm where they have been transitioning everybody, the entire practice over into ARCHICAD and really getting away from using Revit. So so two different aspects about job searching and, and what's really out there and what's happening and not really necessarily related to each other other than the fact that this is what we're coming across. This is what Matthew was coming across as we were doing or as he was doing all of his job searching. So we're going to kick off with the data architect, an interview with Aaron Blackerby, who is a, is technically a data architect. And we'll get into what that means with him. And then we will jump onto the ARCHICAD. So everyone hang in there with us and we're going to get rocking and rolling. So what we wanted to talk about today, one of the things that always is of interest, I think, to architects in general is that we are very proud of the word architect because we have gone to school and we have done all this work and we've done our internship and our testing and we're licensed and we can actually call ourselves architects. When we start seeing it used somewhere else, it gets a little confusing to us. And apparently when Matthew was job hunting, it got a little more interesting for him. Yeah. I'm almost convinced now that LinkedIn thinks that I work in IT because half the jobs that I was getting hits from were data architect or solutions architect type openings. And I'm just like, I, I don't know what that is. And, I, and you click on the link to follow it through. What is the data architect? And it starts listing off all of these random programs that I've never heard about. And I'm just like, what what is this? Why, why am I getting a notification from this? Well, and, and I, I think that's that's true. I mean, it's it's because I've seen the, the systems architect before and, and, you know, my husband will tell you exactly what that means and, oh, because they do this and that. But I'm like, I have no idea. So we thought it might be good to actually get a data architect to join us on the podcast so that he can actually tell us what a data architect does. So our guest today is Aaron Blackerby. And I'm going to let him introduce himself and maybe give us a little bit of his background. Oh, thanks, Larry. My name is Aaron Blackerby. I'm a senior architect in data engineering for a company called Slalom. So I specialize in, in data. I've been doing it pretty much since college. I've been in consulting out of college. So that's kind of where I started cut my teeth, got into design and the nomenclature architecture, which is literally same same as, you know, architecting for brick and mortar, a blueprint, I just deal in, you know, icons on a page, essentially, where it, it you know, I specialize in, in the cloud. So I know it, it's this big, can be confusing, gray area, but that's kind of the space that I play in is designing and 
architecting, building, implementing solutions for clients to move their data, aggregate it in some form or fashion and store it in a place that's accessible to them. And so that's kind of the space I deal in. That's kind of my background and kind of a brief, quick, dirty overview of data architecture. Well, so I think my first question probably is going to be really about, so so what type of data are we talking? Is it like, like accounting data? Are we talking about people tracking you on your phone, that kind of data? Is it, what, what constitutes data for you guys? Any and all of it, honestly, if it can, you know, we're talking structured data, transactional systems, point of sales. You know, I had a client that was in, in telecom. So we're talking their phone, sale of phone, their, the bytes, you know, every, everything around it. Uh, unstructured data, we're t- you know, IoT, which is kind of the Internet of Things or sensors, sensory data. That type of stuff is also considered data that people track. Uh, what is it? Ad- in advertising, it's kind of the clicks. You know, how many clicks do you have? What's your volume of views? And all of that can be aggregated and used for different clients. So I've had clients, you know, like I said, in, in telecom, healthcare, airline, um, let's see, what else? Oil and gas, you know, you name it. I've, I've pretty much done it. So any data that anybody can collect, you can work with. Pretty much. That's correct. Yep. Let's take a restaurant, for example. They have X number of sales in a day, volume of revenue. At the end of the day, they want to upload it to the system or just you know do a push or a pull type of uh, method of getting it to someplace to transform it, aggregate the data and store it for reporting consumption you know, later on, either daily, monthly, yearly, that type of thing. In the sense of, of data architecture, if I take a quick step back, I kind of see it of taking the brick and mortar, but just transforming it into the digital space. Similar to, to Tron, if I throw a movie metaphor in there, right? That's how I see the world of data is, is in a digital, it's a digital city I'm building. So even within data architecture, it's not just about the data. There's all the things around it. You know, there's metadata that goes with data. There is a concept known as like data governance of how do we, what can we do with our data? What kind of boundaries do we want to set around it? What kind of security do we want to have for this data? How do we want to ensure that people, you know, can't uh, do malicious things or access our system, you know, incorrectly. So even within the city, you still have, you know, these other concepts around it. Cause like in a, in a true city, you have speed limits, right? You have on ramps, off ramps for your data. I mean, for cars on a highway, same kind of concept in, in data as well. So I'm hearing a lot of similarities between architects and data architects. So you have, you have clients across a broad spectrum of use cases like in, in residential architects, you know, we, we may get a, a young couple who just moved into a house and, and they're looking to reduce a few things before they start having kids. Or you may get another couple who's looking to retire and future-proof their house so that they can age in place. Or you, you get a broad variety of, of, of people coming in to you for different types of things. And, and you need to be able to handle whatever kind of either building program you're doing as an architect or whatever kind of data comes in as uh, as you as a data architect. Exactly. 
And so then you have different ways of solving their problems, whether so they, they come to you with a data set and say what they want to do with their data. And, and you provide the, the experience and the know-how to, pro- to provide them with a solution that, that, that fits what they want to do with their data in, in the same way as an architect would draw up floor plans for, for a, a couple looking to age in place in their existing house. Yeah, and in a similar fashion of in building a house where I want this outlet in a certain place or these lights, you know, all the things I want this plumbing here, not here, the same thing occurs in data architecture. And so I've even had clients tell me, hey, here's my problem I'm trying to solve and here's how I want to solve it even. And sometimes it's, it's a little ambitious, over ambitious at times because it's just not the reality. Uh, and so even within data and, and technology, there's still restrictions. I said the world's your oyster. There's a lot of different ways of solving it. I mean, multiple ways to skin a cat, right? Same thing happens in data, but some are, you know, the way I see it is there's better ways. There's no right or wrong. It's just a matter of what can fit within those requirements and, and, the, and the how. Oh, we, we, we totally get ambitious, overly ambitious clients. That is, that is something we deal with on a daily basis. <laughs> we both, we both laughed when you said that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, same, same sort of deal that we, in consulting, I, I call it the golden triangle and it's time, resources, and money. And you typically get two, not all three. But I've had clients who want, you know, they want all, right? They want their cake and eat it too. But it's just, you know, they, they're, on a, they're on a time crunch. Okay, well, if you're on a time crunch, then it's going to cost more and it's going to take more people. It's just a different uh, slice and dice of, of those three options. Yeah, we get the, I think it's fast, cheap, and good. You know, you can have it fast and cheap, but it's not going to be good. I mean, you know, there's just this, this little triangle of things where, you know, you're trying to make everything kind of come together. Maybe it's more like the Bermuda Triangle than anything else because you can't get necessarily all three to work together at the same time. Interesting. I, 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 you know, the more that we've talked, it's like, yeah, you can see the analogy between architecture and, and what you're doing as the data architect just because it's, it's, it's a lot of the same, almost feels vernacular, a lot of the same concept. The other aspect of the, the crossover, like you said, the vernacular, some of those buzzwords, especially in recruiting that they, they look for, you know, depending on how you how you say things of what you do in your descriptive terms, you know, on your resume. But oh, yeah, yeah. The, the the minute the word programming pops up, it probably creates a whole slew of potential job postings that don't belong anywhere near an actual you know a residential architect or commercial architect. So. Yeah, and and to that end, like I don't even think on my resume I use you know programming anywhere. It's more of like architected this solution. Right. And in brick and mortar, it's also still a solution, just more in the, in the physical sense than the digital sense. Well, the whole idea of programming, like in the course of a, an architecture project, like that's like step one or two in, in the lifetime of a project is programming in, in, in architecture speak. So when you talk to another architect about programming like that, that's that's an entire job description just by itself. And, and so 
I could see where where people would get their wires crossed and, and programming for a search engine might be like, oh, well, this architect is good at programming. He must be a solutions architect or a data architect. And in reality, the, this guy is like, well, I'm, I'm an architect, but I, I don't work in that space necessarily. <laughs> I can see if you're looking job description, why some of those things, maybe the data architect starts to pop up because there are some of those similarities in, in sort of how things are done. So maybe there's that connection there. I don't know. But like I said, you know, architects, we, we get very possessive of that word because I think feeling like we put so much energy into getting to that point of being able to call ourselves an architect. And, and we even get a little, you know, the, the industry gets upset when people will call themselves architects who aren't architects, but like residential design is fine. If you call yourself a residential architect, you damn well better be an architect because the state will come back and smack you on the ass for that. But we really do appreciate you taking some time out this morning to talk to us about this. And I'm, I'm, I think I've learned a little more. I think having my husband be in HR consulting for a while, I, I understand some of this a little bit, probably enough to be really, really, really dangerous. Uh, <laughs> but I think this has been really helpful. We really appreciate it. Awesome. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, for you architects listening, we hope that explains a little bit about data architects. So the next time you're looking for a job and it pops up into the suggested job postings that you'll understand maybe why you're getting it. It still doesn't help that, you know, it's something that we don't really do, but (laughs) hopefully you have a little bit more understanding of why it's there. But for the second half of the podcast, we wanted to talk about a little bit about building information modeling because Autodesk has been such a presence in the architecture industry for so long and a lot of companies will simply transition from 2D AutoCAD uh, and other Autodesk products into their BIM software Revit. So we were a little puzzled as we were doing some research on the job postings for another episode that we kept seeing ArchiCAD pop up. And so we wanted to talk to someone who was using ArchiCAD on a regular basis and really had a, a, a different perspective, I, I would guess you, I guess you could say. So we talked with, Matthew talked with Carl Malcolm, who's a principal at JHP Architects here in Dallas. And they have transitioned from Autodesk Revit into ArchiCAD and, and have pretty much gotten close to completing a, a full transition. But we, we wanted to ask him because it's such an such an unusual thing to see happen. You know, how did this happen? And, and really, the big question: Why would you step away from it? Well, we had a, a there were a number of reasons to step away from it, but so we've cycled through uh, different platforms in order to produce our documents over time, uh, which is pretty normal. And when we, you know, we were doing AutoCAD 2D for about 10 years and we had decided it was, we, we knew it was time to go into 3D. Students were coming out of school with 3D knowledge. Everybody wanted to work in 3D. SketchUp had become such a big part of our design process. And our clients really liked that 3D aspect to our design. And then as we got into production, we lost the 3D capability. So we're going into 2D CAD and we either keep a SketchUp model going through the entire process um, or change over to a BIM platform. So the, of course the initial, since we already owned all the AutoCAD licenses, we first thought was we'd just convert to Revit. But all of the, I talked to a lot of different architects um, who are on Revit and the conversion was difficult. 
And um, <laughs> when I'd ask them how your documents look, they'd say, hmm, they're getting better. That was the constant, that was, that was always the, uh, the answer was they're getting better. Part of communication is the presentation. And if the presentation is um, unclear, then that generates more questions. So we decided to take a, take a look around at what else was out there because there are an awful lot of BIM platforms out there. Oh, yeah. And yes, Autodesk is the, is the 800 pound gorilla in the room. And it would have to be something compelling to move away from it because it is the industry standard. So we, we looked at five or six different platforms and quickly came down to there are really two viable options. One of them was Revit and one of them was Archicad. And Archicad had the, the benefit of better looking documents out of the box. Um, so we decided to test both of them and we actually did about a three year look at both platforms. Uh, we did a couple of projects in Revit and a couple of projects in Archicad and both you know, technically do the same thing. We found that going from 2D to 3D is gonna, was going to be a big transition anyway. Didn't really matter. They were all going to be, they were both going to be tough to learn. Both would require us to change how we do our work. And so really we kept coming back. We had, we had one mantra at the beginning of it is which one makes us better. We're, we're only making a change if it makes us better. And if neither one makes us better, then we're going to keep going with 2D. Ultimately, we felt like that Archicad was going to allow us to move uh, that production tool into design. But we felt like that every time we tried to design a Revit, it was a disaster. Like it was never, you couldn't manipulate it enough. It wasn't designy enough, right? It's more of a production tool. And so the added benefit of moving Archicad into the design process was the, one of the things that sold us. The other thing was that um, um, from a business standpoint, Autodesk has some pretty difficult pricing structures that change constantly and they only get worse. So we've had that complaint for a long time with Autodesk. I mean, this is not a new thing. We've all struggled with it, but everyone kind of felt like they were stuck. So, you know, with the idea that this, there's another platform that can make us better. Um, we never want to feel like we're stuck with anything. I mean, we're architects, we're innovative. Being kind of hamstrung into one, you know, one platform that's not really helping us um, because it's the industry standard does not seem like the right thing to do. Archicad from a, also from a, uh, from a support standpoint is superior. Um, they're very collaborative. They've opened up their system to us. We have direct connection to the developers in Hungary. Um, so we're, we're able to talk to the people who are designing the software and tell them what we like and don't like, the problems that we're having. And uh, they'll send out a patch worldwide that addresses our individual issue. So from a customer service standpoint, it's spectacular. Can't beat it. So you don't get that with Autodesk. And in fact, when we started our study, we called Autodesk and said, we're, we're looking at various BIM platforms. Um, can you help us out with so, some of this data? Could you meet with us? And the answer came back, we don't think you're going anywhere. So no, we're not going to help. So we've gone somewhere. <laughs> I think it's, make it, I think it's, uh, it's better for us. One of our major concerns was one that our, our staff I know had was if we, if, if we transition to 
Archicad and the industry is Revit, are we holding them back from a career standpoint? Because not everybody comes to JHP and stays here for their entire life, right? As we did our testing, we had people who were Revit, Revit users transitioned into, into Archicad and Archi people who knew Archicad go back into Revit and found that BIM is BIM. It's just like 2D drafting. There's a, there's a, a bunch of 2D drafting programs. And once you learn the commands, they're all kind of the same thing. And also recognizing that we've tried to communicate to people. Um, me in my career, which started in the early 90s, I learned five different CAD, two, 2D CAD programs through my career. The idea that you're going to learn one program and that's it for the rest of your life is, um, is, is kind of a false premise. Um, the other thing is that, once again, we're creative. We're not a production firm. We, want to, we, we, have, we like to have, see, we have really good product output and really good design as an input. So we are trying to balance design and production. And that takes creative people. And that takes people who are willing to take adventures. And that's a person who is not wanting to come to an office and be a BIM jockey for the rest of their life. And I think that's part of, partly in who we're seeking because we're seeking out architects who want to do architecture. We're not seeking out drafters or modelers who want to do modeling. Hadn't been smooth sailing. <laughs> well, with any transition, like I said, learning, a, you know, going from 2D to 3D, the transition was going to be difficult, right? Yeah. Because it is, you know, BIM to BIM is, you know, there's a relation there between, you know, you're just learning new commands. Yeah. Going from 2D to 3D is really difficult. It's a different way of thinking. Um, so the, the training and transition has been, it, it, it's been a long learning curve especially when we were taking 80 people from 2D transitioning to 3D and you can't do it all at one time. We started the transition and then, and it, you kind of have to transition on a project by project basis. And so our projects tend to go through design and production in about six to eight months. And then they go into CA for two more years. So a project team, when we transitioned, you know, we'd had, a couple of projects that we were starting that we could get on Archicad to make that transition. But it really has taken almost three years for all of those projects to cycle so that all of the staff is now working in Archicad routinely. And we still have a bunch of AutoCAD projects that are, that are even now finishing up CDs and going into CA. So from a practical standpoint, it takes a while to make that shift, which means that the, the, all of the teams have to transition at different times. We think we're pretty much there now, but that, this has been a three-year transition with a lot of a lot of bumps. There's a lot of bumps along the way when you're when you're doing something brand new. Yeah. Um, it's not easy. It's never going to be easy with anything. Through all of that, our documentation has gotten better. Our visualization has gotten a lot better, and we we've received not only um, kudos and compliments from our clients even from uh, like the fire marshal in one jurisdiction, sent me an email and said, this is the best looking set of documents I've seen. It's perfectly clear, you know, and, it, and city staff never says this no. is wonderful. They no. never do. So, you know, we've had an awful lot of indicators along the way that we're going the right direction. Ultimately, the goal ultimately, like I said, at the beginning we said, we're going to do something that makes us better. And three years later, 
we think we were, we've, we've made ourselves better. And as we're getting staff over that next, uh, into that next level of technical, you know, prowess, I, I see that launching us even further. And there you have it, folks, the, the next to the last jobs podcast. So join us here in a couple of weeks. We're going to be talking about the benefits of changing jobs on a regular basis, or in my opinion, the benefits of actually staying at a job for a change. But, but we'll get into that in the next podcast. In the meantime, if you need to get in touch with me, you can always find me at Spotted Dog Arch on Instagram and on Twitter or Larry at SpottedDogArchitecture.com. And if you want to get in touch with Matt, you can find him at uh, Arch Geeks Podcast on Instagram and at, oh gosh, you can find our website at www.architecturegeeks.com. And I know that's slightly outdated because nobody uses the www anymore. So, well, there you go. I'm aging myself already. <sighs> oh, well, it's, it's, it's been a while. So, so we'll get back into the rhythm of it. In the meantime, guys, thanks for listening again. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye.